Lord, we thank you that you have given us the breath we breathe, the lives we have. And I ask God that we would not waste them, but that we would live our lives in light of eternity, in light of you, in light of our creatureliness, our finitude. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. It's been a crazy week for my family. Um, my son has uh, had a couple of health challenges. And um, i got to be honest with you, it's been very, very nerve-wracking and uh, unsettling, to say the least. But um, that's what life is. That's how life proceeds. Uh, you have seasons that are great, you're happy, but then the storms come. And uh, for one reason or another, we never think we're going to go through them. I don't know why that's our bent. Usually, we don't want to think about ultimate issues. Unfortunately, a lot of times Christians don't want to think about ultimate issues. I've known believers in the past that they don't like talking about death. And yet, <laughs> the heart of Christianity is death has been conquered through Christ's uh, death and resurrection. And you're not going to hear anything new today. You're going to hear something that's been said many, many times in many different ways. But um, I pray that it will once again refocus us that need to be refocused on what our lives are really all about. And... Um, if you got your Bibles, go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. And I've titled this message, The Lord is the Portion of Our Lives. Uh, each and every one of us have something that we want to cling to. Uh, an ultimate reference point a uh, treasure, and whether you're a believer or not, well, the non-believer doesn't have this struggling, this wrestling match within. But the believer does. And once you come to Christ and you, your eyes have been opened, there still remains a war within. And that war is a competing treasure. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. It could be possessions. It could be people. But you and I struggle with this thing that is demanding our allegiance away from God. And what happens is when we give in to that allegiance, whatever it is, we end up empty-handed. Whatever that thing is, it promises joy, happiness, fulfillment, and when you got it, you don't. You don't have that joy, that peace, that fulfillment. You just don't. And the reason is this. 
It is created, whatever that thing is. So that thing that promises to be your security, to be your happiness, ultimately leaves you empty. Miserable. Let's read Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 2012 is just about over. And 2013 is upon us. And one thing is certain, that nothing is certain. This year, many of us have experienced losses of diverse kinds. Some of us have lost loved ones. Uh, we have lost jobs. We have lost our health. We have experienced prodigals in our families. We have experienced confusion of many sorts. And yet, Others of us have gained. We've gained lost relationships that needed to be mended and they were mended. Others of us have increased prosperity in our businesses. We've gotten jobs in a horrible economy. We've gotten clearer on things that were fuzzy to us. And yet, one thing is certain. We still will live with the same angst that we experience from time to time that we've experienced it in 2012. We will experience it in this coming year. And why is that? Why is that? Why the brokenness? Why the anxiety that we constantly are dealing with? Why? Well, because things are not the way they ought to be. Because long ago, the creature thought they knew better than the Creator and said, I got this. We're going to do it our way. And it wasn't until Christ came many, many years later that that malady has been remedied. But we're still dealing with the effects of our rebellion against God. And because of that, 
we will continue to live with the uncertainty that brings and tends to bring anxiety. Isn't that an encouraging introduction? It's the truth. But that's not our hope. That's not where our hope lies. That's not where our hope should rest. Your hope should not rest on how well you did this week or how poorly you did this week. It should not rest on anything except what the psalmists rested on. And that's what I want to look at this morning. The fact is that whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or poor, you will die. And the very thing that we want to deny, it's just a breath away. It's a breath away. Now, why do we do that? I think, by and large, in our country, in our culture, most of us have grown up with um, a type of security that two-thirds of the world has never experienced. And because of that, we tend to have attitudes of entitlements. We deserve to be secure. Uh, we deserve to be taken care of, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We deserve to be happy. A lot of that is culturally conditioned because of the relative security most of us have grown up with. So that when we come to the book, and we start reading things that are bloody, and we start looking at what the psalmist is saying when he is crying out to God to avenge him of his enemies and to do away with them. We don't have a category for that because we bring our cultural conditioning to the book. And I want to encourage us to try as best as we can today to, to not do that. My prayer is that God, by His Word, through His Spirit, will, will penetrate those things that have their claws in each and every one of us to one degree or another that say, now, I got this. The psalm has a heading on it. It says, a miktam of David. The fact is, we don't know what the heck that is. There's, I'm not going to bore you with the details. We do not know what that means. What we do know is this, is that the focus of the psalm, the focus of the psalmist, is on the Lord and all His benefits. He celebrates the goodness of God both in his experience in the past and what he is looking forward to. The psalm, verse 1, is first of all a petition. It's a crying out for protection. Secondly, verse 2, it is his profession of trust in God. Verses 3 and 4, you see a commitment to worship. Verses 5 and 6, his contentment in Yahweh, in 
verses 7 through 11, his joyous exaltation in the faithfulness of Yahweh. But this morning, I just want to focus on the first two verses. Verses 1 and 2. The petition for protection and his profession of trust. First of all, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Psalm 17, verse 7 says this, Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. We have enemies. We have enemies from without. And we have an enemy from within. For the believer, it is that part of you that wrestles against the Spirit of God and says, no, I will not submit. I know better. Therefore, I will do this. I will not listen to sound wisdom. I will not walk in the fear of the Lord. And therefore, the lusts within us wage war within our members. He says, preserve me. I love this. Preserve me. That word means to protect. Keep me. Guard me. Hear how personal it is? He's addressing God personally. This is not an abstract thought, but it's one-on-one, intimate. And he's crying out, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. This emphasis depicts his unreserved and joyous trust in God like a child trusts a parent. We're going to see more of that in verse 2. He says, preserve me, O God. He is directing his prayer to God. The Almighty, who is able to do all things, and rightly so, because He is the Creator. The Word of God preaches completely and totally against what's called polytheism, the belief that there are many gods, or that God is in Many different things, like the tree and the wind and and the rocks. Or that God is a God who just wound up the universe and uh, let it the the, the forces of nature take their, their course. He's very transcendent, totally removed from the creature and the creation. The God of Scripture is a God who, while He is completely and totally apart from the creation, is intimately, intimately involved in the affairs of each and every one living. In each and every bird that flies. Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to 
the disciples, and he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. <laughs> don't worry. Why? And he uses the creature, the creation, as an illustration to compare his view of how much more valuable human beings are than the birds and the lilies of the field. Those things are precious to him. They just are not created in his image like human beings are. And he's addressing this God. For I take refuge in you. Shelter. When you read in Scripture and you see the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, Here's one of the things that we're very removed from. A long, long time ago, people, in order to live securely, lived in what's called fortified cities. Cities that had a wall all the way around them. And then there was a gate. And then there were watchmen that were on top of the walls, keeping guard. We are completely and totally removed from that necessity because we live in huge cities. And we think we don't need the protection. But we do have protections. We have military protection that we're completely and totally oblivious to. We have protection from police officers. We have protection from uh, firefighters. We have protection even last night. I took my son to the hospital. That is a measure of protection. It is uh, help in time of need. So when the psalmist is crying out to God, he doesn't have a lot of luxuries that we take for granted. Now, we're not sure what it was he was crying out for. Maybe from the actions of, of the godless, as in verse 4, where it says, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Perhaps the enemies of Israel. We're not sure. Okay, But what we are sure of is this, is that whatever it is he's asking for protection, it is a cause for tremendous anxiety. When was the last time you felt inside of you like you can't go to sleep because something's going on in your life and you are just utterly beside yourself? Okay, now that you have that in mind. This text here is loaded with Hebrew history. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, which allude to the Exodus. Moses said, let me go there. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. My God in whom I trust. How could Moses say that? Well, if you look back at the Exodus, you remember the great deliverance that God achieved for Israel. 
through the many different plagues, and ultimately through the drowning of Pharaoh's chariots. That was a great deliverance. That is a huge reference point in all of salvation history to what it means for God to be almighty. Almighty God, and not only that, Lord. The God who makes covenant with His redeemed people. So you've got a petition for protection. To whom? To the God of creation and to the God of the covenant. Verse 2 says this, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Can you say that honestly? Can you really say that? Do you really mean it? I'll tell you this. You cannot say it and really mean it unless you know the God of this psalmist. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who doesn't change. Do you, you want me to simplify the message of the Bible? It's really simple. God is telling the creature, trust my provision. That's what he's saying. Trust my provision. It is the same throughout Scripture. And in the Old Testament, he's pointing to who that provision is. It is the God-man, Christ Jesus. Trust my provision provision you trusting his provision in your anxiety with your work with your school with your church with your relationships are you trusting God's provision can you actually say I have no good besides you I, I have to tell you it is very tempting to cling on to the gifts God has given to us. Whether you're married or whether you're single. Whether you're young or whether you're old. It is very tempting to cling on to the gifts God has given to us and make those ultimate. Make those the things we look to for our ultimate joy. And they will leave us empty. You know why? Because they are finite. And God has created us to delight in that which has no beginning or end, and it is Him. But granted, I'm grateful for the many gifts God has given to me. I am a far kinder human being having been married to my wife these 22 years. Far more understanding person having three children and having to raise them and discipline them and talk with them and cry with them and cry over them. I'm a much more compassionate human being now that I'm almost 50 and I've stumbled and fallen and have experienced the mercy of God time and again in my life. So that when I look at somebody who's struggling, it's like, 
The self-righteousness I had as a young Christian is completely destroyed. Thank God. But that doesn't come without a price. Why? Because I'm not God. And He's begun a good work in me. And He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Just as if He will in every believer. So I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Listen to the address. He addresses the Lord. And in your Bible, it's capitalized L-O-R-D. When in your English Bible, Lord is capitalized L-O-R-D, it is the name Yahweh. It is the name of God by which He revealed Himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. It is the name of God that depicts relationship through rescue. It is the name of God that depicts, I will keep the covenant even if you break it, because I am faithful. It is the name of God that as His covenant people, He calls us to be holy even as He is holy. And being called to holiness is not a life of a calling to be miserable. It is a life of depth and breadth and height and length. Joy. And of not wasting the life that He's given to us. But of living in that which He has purposed for us. You are my Lord. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. That's not all capitals. That word, Lord, is the term Adonai. Which means that not only are you the covenant God, you are my master. You are my ruler. Again, we do not live under a monarchy. So whenever we hear words that depict kingship, we are so removed that we miss the impact that the Word of God is communicating. When a king speaks, his word is final. It's not a democracy. It is not something you vote on. It is absolute. So when the monarch says this, there is no... Uh, but, uh, no. There is submission or death. And if you think about it, nothing's changed. Because ultimately, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now, those of us who are in Him will do it graciously, rejoicing. Those of us who are not will do it and receive our just punishment. This is an address to God as King. Every one of us 
listen to someone. Every one of us in here have an ultimate reference point to which we come under as ultimate. It's how we were created to function. No man is an island. No woman is an island. No kidding. And for however uh, you view your autonomy, it is very, very minute. Think about it. You're needy. You need air to breathe. You need food to survive. You need water to drink so that you can function and go about. You need somebody to buy your product because if you don't, you can't make any money. Right? Oh, by the way, you need your health so that you can get up and go and do work. You need your mind so that you can think and fix problems. You're very needy, and so am I. And that's the last thing we want to admit. That's the last thing we want to say. Because, like Eve and Adam... We want to usurp God's rightful place as ultimate. We want to be God. Nothing's changed. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. Don't we? I mean, there is that pull in everybody. Well, the God who has revealed Himself in Scripture, who is Creator who is the ultimate reference point to absolute truth, is saying, no, that is not rightfully yours because you are a creature. It is mine by virtue of being creator. I own everything. I own you. Well, the psalmist here is addressing the creator But he's not just addressing the Creator. He's addressing the Lord of the covenant and recognizes His absolute mastery over Him. And He is secure. Psalm 23.1 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah, but I want all kinds of things. In other words, I lack all kinds of things. <laughs> my health is failing. My bank book is definitely dry. I-, I have no direction or sense of purpose in my life. I have a horrible marriage, or I'm single and I want to get married, or I'm a teenager and oh my gosh, my hormones are raging. I want to experience. You go on and on and on and on. How can, the, how can I say that I don't lack anything? I lack everything. I lack so many things. No, you don't. Not if the Lord is your Lord. What are we talking about here? We're talking about ultimate things. We're talking about that which is most important. We're talking about that which... When you die, not if you die, when you die, Justin, you are going to meet God either as his friend or his 
enemy. You are going to give an answer to him for every word that comes out of your mouth. He's going to expose the thoughts of your heart. And he's also going to be the most amazing refuge where the faith will become sight. And the struggle will be over. And we will be with him. For those of us who are his, the day is coming when he is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and turn to the joy of your master. He says, I have no good besides you. This word good, it has to do with his welfare, benefits. No good things. Yahweh, who is his master, is also his highest good. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I don't believe it all the time. You know how I know? By how I live. When I don't trust Him. When I let anxiety grip me in such a way, I don't run to Him, I run away from Him. And you experience the same thing I do. I know it. And as this year comes, you're going to have opportunities. And so am I. To be able to say with the psalmist, you are my highest good. I have no good besides you. Or, no. And we have to understand this. In some degree, some measure, when we are saying yes to God, we are partaking of life. When we are saying no to Him, we are imbibing death. We are drinking it in. We are saying yes to death. Notice, the very thing most people fear is the very thing that is being embraced. The non-believer has no choice. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. The believer now, though sin is present, sin is no longer our master. Christ is. Christ is. Christ is. Whatever makes me truly happy cannot be above Yahweh, according to the psalmist. Impossible. So what makes you really happy? What brings you a sense of true, real contentment and happiness, peace, Without exception, the psalmist says, you alone, you alone are my good. 
Now, in the Bible, God reveals who He is through His names. It is one of the things that He does to show us how He relates to us. The word Elohim speaks of God's power to create. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He did this through His Word. In Hebrews 1, Jesus is said to be the one that God in these last days has spoken to us through His Son, through whom also He created the world. I was thinking about that this morning, and it hit me, the weightiness of that. The weightiness of God, His Word, spoke everything into existence. And the weightiness of His Word in these last days, we dare not neglect His Son, who is the Word. El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the All-Sufficient One who controls the powers of nature to serve his purposes. In Genesis 17, he told Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation and I will exceedingly bless you. Exceedingly. And Jesus in John 15, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Any branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts out. But he prunes others. We are needy. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you find yourself crying out to him when you feel like everything's falling apart? And admitting, God, I need you. I can't do this. Teenagers, do you cry out to God when you know inside, oh God, I want to go the way of the world so badly right now? Do you, cry, do you find yourself crying out to Him? Or do you just say, nah? Adults, how about you? We're no different than the teenagers. Do you find yourself crying out to God? Oh, cry out to Him. El Olam. We sang it this morning. You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Jesus, before the Pharisees, when they wanted to stone Him, He said, before Abraham was, I am. 
Yahweh is the everlasting God. He always has been. It's weird too. You can't even say it without using a, a term of time. Been. He just is. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Genesis twenty two fourteen. You have the account where Abraham is going to offer up Isaac, his son, and the knife's about to go in, and God himself provides the sacrifice in the thicket. Jesus, many years later, comes, and the words of John the Baptist thunder, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God will provide himself Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Once we were dead in trespasses and sins. Once we were objects of wrath. Ephesians 2.4 But now, but God in His mercy with which He loved us made us alive in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer at war with our Creator. We're at peace because of Christ. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In whom? In Christ. God is Creator. God is all-sufficient. God is everlasting. God provides. God is our peace. God is our righteousness. And this is awesome. God is present. He is there. Jehovah Shammah. He is the God who is there. In your lonely night, in your painful relationship, He's there. I think the, the deepest pain I have ever experienced that has caused me a lot of depression in my life is loneliness. Anybody here ever experienced loneliness? That feeling where you feel nobody can relate to you? That sense of, I don't fit anywhere? That gnawing inside of you where you don't want to live anymore because you feel so alone. You're not. He's there. He's there. Psalm 23, the Lord is present. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. That's why I don't fear evil. It's not because I'm not scared. But the Lord is with me. That's so packed with meaning the Lord. Oh, you know what it means? The one who rescued me before I even wanted him. God rescued Israel. Before he gave them the word, 
He made them his people before he said, okay, I here's how I want you to live. He didn't say, I want you to live this way so you can become my own. He didn't do that. He doesn't change. You don't do, do, do to get in God's good graces. No. You get in God's good graces by his mercy, and now you live in such a way that reflects him. That's what we're called to as the community of faith. The Lord is present. Matthew 28, 20, I love this. After Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. Do you feel alone? You're not alone. And if you don't feel alone, you will. It's coming. A lady many years ago, before I got married, said this to me. She said, Sergio, you know, we come to Christ, and He rescues us, and we're walking with Him, and it's just you and Jesus. And then the Lord brings a mate, and now you're, you're walking with your mate, and you're walking with Jesus and with your mate. And, and, then, and then children come. One, two, three, seven. And you're walking with them and you're raising them and you're living life. And then they get older. And one leaves, the other one leaves until they're all leave the house. And then it's you and your spouse again. And one of you is going to leave first. One of you is going to die first. And, and there you are again. It's you and Jesus. But you're still not alone. You're not alone. We've got different struggles in here. I know we do. But I pray for you and me. You're getting married in a couple months. The excitement of a new life together. Awesome. Awesome. But I pray that both of you will be able to say, Ultimately, Lord, I have no good besides you. Because it's true. Because it's true. That's the psalmist's highest good. It's the God of creation. It is the Lord, the covenant. It is the shepherd of Israel who incarnated in the person of Christ and who is coming back for his people. Lord, each and every one of us have an ultimate treasure. I pray that we would have you.
as our ultimate treasure so that we can be about reflecting you, so that we can be salt and a light, so that our witness will be more and more effective, so that our joy in you will so overflow that it'll be contagious to others around us. Oh God, so that we might be about the Master's bidding. Would you do that? Do that, Lord. For every heart in here that aches, is anxious, is wrestling with doubts and fears, is dull of hearing and uninterested in anything that's been said this morning. Having the mind set on things that will perish. Lord, wherever we're at, May we be able to say in here, I have no good besides you. The Lord is the portion of my life. And as the hymn goes, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And because his kingdom is forever, oh God, may we be wise investors and bank on heaven and heaven alone. For your name's sake, I pray. And for our joy in you, Lord.